Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. The darkness has found you. All of this and much, much more can be yours. Do I look like a Beverly Hills shithead to you? Do I look like a Mexican? And then shouted for George before a horrible sound erupted from Cynthia's throat. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 5. I'm your host, Jason Hill. 
and I encourage all of you to insert a clever quip here, because I'm genuinely tapped out. Howdy, kiddos. Got another one for you from author Tim Wagner tonight. And for those of you who recall his previous offerings, yeah, this one goes to some pretty strange places, and I frankly wouldn't have it any other way. Shall we? Oh, and that thing about the patrons area, you know, that I talk about every episode, well, you know, go and do that. I don't want to say the rest of it today, just go back to one of the other episodes, there's like a freaking hundred of them. It's in there. Thanks. No, really, thank you. Uh Uh-huh. And now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. And now, from author Tim Wagner, I give you Voices Like Barbed Wire. I've lived in Ash Creek most of my adult life, so when I pull into the parking lot of a fast food restaurant that doesn't exist, I am, as you might imagine, more than a little surprised. I'm scared, too, but at the same time, hopeful. Maybe I'll finally find what I've been searching for here, some small measure of peace. I park my Prius between two vehicles that I can't identify. One is a monstrously large sedan that looks like it belongs in the 1950s, its body shimmering in the sunlight as if it's made from mother of pearl. The other vehicle has seven wheels and looks like it's been constructed from odds and ends of silvery wire soldered together. The other cars in the lot are equally strange, but I find them comforting rather than upsetting. They're an indication that I've come to the right place. When I get out of my car and take a breath, I find the air has a chemical tang to it, as if an industrial factory is close by. There isn't one to my knowledge, but up until a few moments ago, I didn't believe there was a restaurant here, so what do I know? The asphalt of the parking lot is dry and cracked, and there are no lines painted on it to indicate parking spaces. Vegetation grows upward from the cracks, some of it ordinary grass, but there are also weeds of a kind I can't identify. Sickly yellow-green things that are covered with thistles, and which terminate in round crimson bulbs that glisten wetly. These bulbs sway slowly back and forth, despite the absence of a breeze. I ran over several of these plants while driving into the lot, and I flattened them, the bulbs bursting open like tumors, squirting reddish-brown goo. The substance reminds me of how my daughters used to mix paints when they were little, adding more and more colors until they created a muddy brown soup. It hits me then as it often does, so strong and unexpected that I'm unable to prepare myself. An image of two girls sitting on a couch, one twelve, one seven. 
My daughters, Nancy and Lauren. Nancy's eyes are wet, but she's smiling, desperately trying to hold back her tears. Lauren is crying openly, tears streaming down her cheeks like tiny waterfalls. The girls are holding hands, fingers interlaced, gripping tightly. It's this detail that hurts my heart the most, I think. I wish this wasn't happening, Lauren wails. I wish this was a dream. Nancy's response to what her father and I have just told them is more restrained and all the more awful for it. That's okay, she says, lips trembling with the effort of maintaining her smile. It's okay. The memory of their voices, of their shock and pain, nearly drives me to my knees. I can't breathe, and I wonder if the grief and guilt will finally kill me, and I've hung dead in the parking lot of a place that shouldn't be real. But the memory retreats, and I begin breathing once more. My heart is racing, but I don't think it's going to give out on me this time. I feel as much disappointment as relief from this knowledge. Pandora's is the name of the restaurant, and it's spelled out in large red plastic letters in the front of the building, which, despite the oddities of the parking lot and the vehicles within it, looks pretty much like any fast food joint. Beneath the name is a cartoonish depiction of a wooden box, the lid partway open. Inside, black shadows which almost seem to be swirling like eddies of dark water. How appetizing, I think. And although I'm still unsteady on my feet, I feel a little better. False bravado is better than none, right? I go inside. The weird chemical tang is strong in here, as if the restaurant itself is producing it. My throat starts to hurt immediately, and my eyes sting. I try not to think about what that odor is or what it might be doing to my body. At first glance, the interior looks the same as any other fast food place. Tiled floors, counter-staffed by dull-eyed, uniformed workers, menu above them displaying options and prices, along with photos of what's meant to be tempting food selections. Sandwiches, fries, and shakes but not the normal offerings. The sandwich meat is greenish and covered with what looks like scales, and the seeds in the bun aren't seeds at all, but rather tiny eyes. The fries look more like small sections of bone sprinkled with salt, and the shake cups are filled with a purple-gray substance that looks like something that's been squeezed out of an infected wound. My stomach lurches, and I almost turn around and get the hell out of there. But then the girls' voices come to me again. I wish this wasn't happening. I wish this was a dream. That's okay. It's okay. I take a deep breath through my mouth so I don't have to smell the chemical stink. And then I approach the counter. The woman at the register is in her twenties, bald with the tattoo of a large purple eye on her forehead. 
Her left eye remains closed, while her right blinks rapidly and continuously. Her short-sleeved uniform is blue, and she wears a square brown hat shaped like a wooden box. Her name tag reads O-N-D. When she speaks, her voice is bright and chipper, but she doesn't smile. Welcome to Pandora's, where you won't believe what's in the box. Will this be cash, credit, or etheric transfer? I try to speak, but my throat is so raw, thanks to the chemicals in the air, that it takes me a couple of tries to produce sound. <clears throat> I'm actually here to meet someone. Mr. Lim? Owen's right eye stops fluttering just a couple of seconds before starting back up again. She doesn't answer with words, but instead raises her arm and points toward the dining area. Her hands are twisted and lumpy, as if she suffers from severe arthritis. But her face doesn't change expression as she points. I turn my head to look where she's pointing, and I see a dozen people scattered around the dining area, some sitting alone, some with companions. They all look like the sort of people that would drive the strange vehicles outside but only one captures my full attention. An older man sitting alone and eating a sandwich. A pile of fast food sandwich wrappers on the table before him. Mr. Lim, I presume. I thank Owned, who gives no indication that she hears me, or maybe she simply doesn't care, and I walk over to Mr. Lim's table. The man's body odor hits me when I'm within five feet of him. A feral smell, like the scent of big cats in a zoo enclosure. His stink leavens the chemical odor and actually comes as something of a relief. He's a thin man in his fifties, about a decade older than me, and he's wearing an army jacket, jeans, and sneakers. His clothes are worn, colors faded, but overall clean enough. He's several days overdue for a shave, and his bristles are as white as the tangled thatch of hair on his head. There's a TV screen hanging from a ceiling mount. The sound is muted, but instead of news, it's playing a series of black-and-white images that look like clips from snuff films. Mr. Lim keeps his gaze focused on the screen as he eats, although eating is too nice a word for what he's doing. He is devouring his sandwiches, tearing into them with the speed and ferocity of a starving dog. He has three other sandwiches waiting for him on the table, all wrapped in yellow paper. I do a quick count of the crumpled wrappers piled in front of him, and I get ten. Assuming he hasn't been sitting here all day and pacing himself... He's evidently ordered 14 of Pandora's sandwiches for his meal, and while he's eaten the majority of them, it appears his appetite is nowhere near satisfied. I wonder if he's eating the sandwiches with the green-scale patties, but I decide that I would rather not know. He doesn't look away from the TV to acknowledge my presence, so I stand there, unsure what to do. 
On the screen, a naked middle-aged man holding an electric drill approaches an equally naked teenage girl, duct taped to a wooden chair. The terror in her eyes is so strong it's almost a living thing in and of itself. And I cast my gaze downward, unable to bear witness to what happens next. I try to tell myself that it's not real, just some slasher flick. But I know better. I almost leave, but I hear my daughter's voice once more. Maybe because the woman in the video is so young and my gut cramps in pain. As bizarre and frightening as this place is, it's nothing compared to what that memory does to me. And I stay right where I am. Sit down, Mr. Lim says through a mouthful of food. He still doesn't look at me. I hesitate for a moment, then I sit down opposite him, my back to the TV. He continues eating one sandwich after the other until he's finished. It doesn't take long. When he's done, he wipes a bit of ketchup from the corner of his mouth and licks it off his fingers. At least, I hope it's ketchup. He lowers his gaze to mine then, and I see he has the most beautiful pair of sky-blue eyes that I have ever seen. The eyes of an angel. I'm about to introduce myself when he asks, Who referred you? His voice sounds normal, but my ears hurt when he speaks, as if his vocal cords transmit an ultrasonic signal that I can't consciously detect. I find my voice faster than I did with owned. Marsha McLean, a friend from high school, she said you helped her and could help me. Said... Um, yeah? I posted about my problem on social media, you know, just venting. And she sent me a private message about what you did for her and how I could find you. Marcia gave me Pandora's address, but no result came up when I entered it into my GPS app on my phone. I figured it was just a glitch of some kind, and I set out searching for the restaurant. I drove up and down the street five times before I finally found it. A gas station was on this corner the first four times I drove by, but on the fifth, Pandora's sat where the station had been. Mr. Lim raises and lowers his chin, as if to indicate my answer is satisfactory. Ah, I remember her. He turns halfway in his chair and waves to get Owen's attention. She looks at him blankly, then she nods and shuffles toward the kitchen. He then turns back to me. What's your problem? I tell him about the memory that plagues me, the night Jacob and I told our girls that we were divorcing. I'm their mother. I'm supposed to protect them from hurt, not be the cause of it. When I finish, I feel exposed as if I've revealed too much. But I have to tell him my story, don't I? How can he help me otherwise? Marcia's problem was similar to mine. She lost her husband to cancer, and she was holding his hand in the hospital room when he died. She didn't regret being there for him, 
but every night she dreamed of that last moment with him, when it became too much for her to bear any longer. She told a friend, and his friend told her about a man she'd heard of who could solve any problem. A man named Mr. Liam. It took Marcia some time to track him down, but she did. And when she finally met him in person, he was indeed able to help her. Somehow, he removed the memory of her husband's death from her mind, and she slept fine ever since. I pray he can do the same for me. What do you want me to do? Mr. Lim asks. You took away a painful memory from my friend, and I would like you to do the same for me. He looks at me for a moment with those unearthly blue eyes, and then says, I can do that. The relief that fills me is so overwhelming that it's all I can do not to burst into tears. But I'll need you to get something for me first. Before I can ask what it is, Owned approaches the table carrying a tray of fresh sandwiches wrapped in yellow paper. Fourteen of them. Despite her arthritic-looking hands, she carries the tray without difficulty and sets it in front of Mr. Lim. Without looking at either of us or speaking a word before she turns and shuffles back toward the counter. Given the way he was eating before... I expect Mr. Lim to tear the paper off one of the sandwiches and cram it into his mouth. But, instead, he calmly tells me what he wants me to do. When he's finished, he asks if I understand. I don't really, but I'll do whatever it takes to be free of the voices. Satisfied, he picks up one of the sandwiches unwraps it slowly, almost lovingly, and then falls upon it with an animalistic snarl. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. As I wrote earlier, I've lived in Ash Creek for a long time, but I grew up on a farm outside a small town called Waldron. It wasn't a very successful farm. My dad inherited it from his father, but his heart just wasn't in it. He didn't like the work and had no head for business. 
He grew soybeans, mostly, and he didn't do a good job of that. By the time I was married and Nancy was born, he'd sold the farm, moved with my mother to a smaller house in town, and started doing odd jobs as a handyman. One summer, when I was six, I was playing in a field that Dad never planted nor maintained. I was running through the field, laughing as I chased butterflies when my foot snagged on something. Fiery pain shot through my ankle, and I cried out as whatever had hold of me drew taut, sending me falling to the ground face first. I put out my hand to break my fall, and the impact hurt my wrists. But that pain was nothing compared to the agony in my ankle. Crying, teeth gritted, I rolled onto my back and sat up. I bent over to examine my foot and saw my sock and shoe were both covered in blood. There was so much of it, and it was so red that the sight of it almost made me pass out. I sat there whimpering for several moments until I worked up enough courage to examine my wound more closely. Rusty barbed wire was wrapped tight around my ankle. The points caught so deep in my flesh that I imagined they touched the bone. I had no idea where the wire had come from, but later Dad told me there used to be a fence around that field when I was a kid and the length of wire that caught me must have been left over from that time. Lying in the field all those years, like the world's most patient serpent, waiting for someone to come along so it could strike. I needed stitches and a tetanus shot, of course, and I walked with a crutch for a couple weeks while the wound healed. Luckily, no tendons were damaged, at least not badly and I was back to running again before summer's end. But not in that field. Never again. The pain of that rusty wire biting through my skin and muscle down to the bone was the worst I'd ever experienced in my life, including labor with both of my girls. Until the night Jacob and I gave them the news, we'd both hoped never to have to tell them. Until I saw their faces until I heard their voices. It's worse in my dreams. There, the memory plays and replays with vivid colors and crisp sound, like an expensive Hollywood production. I don't sleep much. Hell, who am I trying to fool? I hardly sleep at all. You'd think that the memory, painful as it was, would have faded over the years especially since the girls are grown and in college. Lauren at Northern Kentucky University for her undergrad. Nancy at Wichita State for her graduate degree. But the memory has only become sharper with the passage of time. My brother once told me that's because I have a sick need to punish myself. Maybe so. But knowing that doesn't make the memory go away. I'm careful about what I watch on TV. Commercials are the worst. You never know when kids will be in one. And I'm cautious about the movies I see in theaters. 
I only go to shows that start after 9pm in the hope I won't run into any parents taking their little ones to see the latest animated extravaganza. But, for all my precautions, I still hear my girls' voices throughout the day. So many times, I no longer bother counting. Back at Pandora's less than an hour later, I'm carrying a white cardboard box with the logo for Pets and More printed on the side. Mr. Lim is finishing the last of what I assume to be another set of 14 sandwiches. The mound of crumpled wrappers on the table is so large now that there isn't room for them all, and several have fallen to the floor. I wait for him to finish his sandwich. I know it won't take long, but I don't look up at the TV. I don't want to see what it's showing. As before, Mr. Lim pays no attention to me until he's finished. He then glances over at me, and his gaze flicks to the box and he grins. His teeth are over large and so white they gleam. He sweeps the wrappers off the table to make room, and I gently set the box down before him. My heart pounds. My stomach roils with nausea. Mr. Lim leans over the box, closes his eyes, and inhales deeply, as if he's drawing in the scent of a fine wine. He reaches out with trembling hands and opens the box. His lips are moist and I realize he's drooling. He peers inside, then he turns and gives me an angry glare. I don't eat anything that's still alive, he says, voice dripping with disgust. I'm not a savage. He picks up the box and shoves it towards me. I don't want to take it, but Mr. Lim releases the box, and if I don't grab hold of it, the box and its contents will fall to the floor. So I catch it, and it's a panicked scuttling from inside. I look down at the rabbit, black and white fluffball that looks back up at me with frightened eyes. I... You can't. What I can do is give you the relief you desire, he says. But I don't work for free. I don't look at Mr. Lim. Instead, I continue looking at the bunny. After the divorce, Nancy and Lauren begged me to get them a pet, but back then I lived in a small two-bedroom apartment, and I didn't want to deal with looking after an animal on the days the girls were with their father. And by the time I found myself a new house, the girls were older and had stopped talking about pets, so they never had any growing up. One more regret to add to my list. I wish this wasn't happening. I wish this was a dream. That's okay. It's okay. I take hold of the rabbit by the scruff of its neck and pull it out of the box. I let the box fall to the floor, put one hand around the rabbit's neck, 
the other hand on its head, and I quickly turn them in opposite directions. There's a snapping sound, and the rabbit spasms once and then falls still. I toss the dead creature onto the table, and Mr. Lim gazes at it for a moment, gorgeous blue eyes shining. Then he snatches it up and brings it to his mouth. It takes him longer to finish it off than it does a Pandora's sandwich, but that's because he has the fur, bones, and internal organs to deal with too, all of which he eats. When he's done, his army jacket is splattered with crimson, and the lower half of his face is a red smear. As he starts to lick the blood from his fingers, I say, Now will you do it? Between finger licks, he glances at me and says, It's already done. I don't feel any different, and doubt must show in my face for Mr. Lim sighs and says, Why did you come to me? So you could remove one of my bad memories. The worst one. Ah, and which one is that? I open my mouth to reply, but then I realize I have no idea. I remember everything about my interactions with Mr. Lim and the moment I first stepped into Pandora's, but I can't recall which memory I wanted him to take from me. I smile in wonderment. I, I can't believe it. It's gone. Thank you. Thank you so... He waves away my thanks. Ond approaches with a tray of fresh sandwiches and Mr. Lim turns his attention to whatever new atrocities are playing out of the TV screen. I take this as my cue to go, only too happy to take my leave of Mr. Lim and this strange place. As I push open the entrance door, a mother and her two young daughters enter. The faces of all three are mottled, the flesh swollen and gently pulsating. I try not to stare as they pass me, and I continue outside and walk toward my Prius. I don't hear any voices in my head, and I don't know if I should be relieved by that. I'm a phlebotomist, and I took the day off work so I could meet with Mr. Lim. It's still early enough that I could go to the hospital and put in a few hours, but I just feel so good. So much lighter. Then, I decide to take the rest of the day to celebrate. I don't know exactly what burden Mr. Lim relieved me of, but given that I'm so happy I'm almost giddy, I know it has to be a huge one and no longer being tormented by memory like that is definitely worth celebrating. I feel so great that I don't question how Mr. Lim performed this miracle, or even what he is precisely, or where exactly Pandora's is in relation to what I've always thought of as the real world. In truth, I don't really care about those details, and I suspect that if I had answers to my questions, I wouldn't like them. I'm debating whether to get a relaxing massage at my gym or a strong margarita at my favorite Mexican restaurant when my phone starts buzzing. 
I left my purse on the floor of my passenger seat both times I went into Pandora's, but I moved it back onto the passenger seat before I left the parking lot. I reach inside, remove the phone, and accept the call without looking to see who it is. Like most people, I usually screen my calls to avoid salespeople or political poll takers. But right now, I'm too happy to care who it is. Hello? Hi, Mom. I frown. Who's this? Silence on the other end for several seconds. Mom, it's me. Nancy. I'm not sure why this woman is calling me Mom, but I search my memory, trying to recall if I know a Nancy. There's a nurse named Nancy that I've worked with a few times when I've been on nights. But this isn't her. She's in her late 60s and this woman... This woman's young. In her 20s, maybe. Besides, why would that Nancy call me Mom? Sorry, um... You must have the wrong number. I pull the phone away from my ear, intending to disconnect, but before I can, the woman Nancy speaks hurriedly. Is this some kind of joke, Mom? Please tell me it is, because if it's not, you're scaring me. I should disconnect anyway. If there's anyone joking here, it's her. But I don't. Instead, I put the phone back to my ear. I'm sorry, but... Not only don't I know a Nancy, I don't recognize your voice. The pause is longer this time, and I think she's ended the call, but then she says, Do you remember the hospital where you work? I'm not sure what disturbs me more, that she knows where I work, or the forced calm in her voice, which is a poor job of masking the fear underneath. Yes? Go there. Right now. Tell them you're having trouble remembering things. I'll book a flight and be in Ohio as soon as I can. I'll call Laura. She breaks off. Do you remember Laura? My silence is answer enough. I'll call her, and I'm sure she'll come too. She's close enough to drive, and she'll get there first. Don't worry, Mom. You're going to be okay, all right? Everything is going to be okay. I love you. She sounds on the verge of tears as she disconnects. I hold the phone to my ear a moment longer before returning it to my purse. This incident is as strange as anything I experienced in Pandora's. And while I have no idea who Nancy or... Uh, Lauren? Laura? There was something about Nancy's parting words. Something about the way she repeated the word, Okay chilled me. Whoever these girls are, they must be part of the memory Mr. Lim removed from my mind. I wanted that memory gone. I needed it desperately. My continuing sanity depended on it. So maybe I shouldn't think about this too closely. I shouldn't try to recover that which I worked so hard to be free of. To hell with the massage and the margarita, and to hell with the hospital. I needed to go home. Now. I pressed down on the gas and prayed I wouldn't catch the attention of any cops on the way. A 
couple of hours later, I'm sitting in Pandora's parking lot again. It isn't as full as it was earlier, but the vehicles here now are just as weird as the ones before. I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to find the restaurant again. That once my wish was granted, the place would go back to wherever it came from. Never to return. But I found it again. And on the first try. I've been sitting here for five minutes, gripping the steering wheel and looking straight ahead. Once I got home, I checked my phone and found contacts for both a Nancy and a Lauren. No last names, though. I checked my text messages and found conversations with both women. The latest exchanges were about their upcoming spring breaks. The schools didn't do their spring breaks during the same week. Lauren's was first, and Nancy's was the week after. The three of us wanted to take a cruise but we were having trouble figuring out the logistics of the trip. I have no memory of these texts. There are saved voicemails from both girls, too. I didn't recognize either of their voices. There are pictures on my phone, most of which are of one or two young women who I... I assume are Nancy and Lauren. I'm in some of those pictures, but I have no memory of them being taken. I checked my social media accounts and found more pictures of them, along with their comments on my posts. I checked out their profiles, went through their pictures, saw bits and pieces of two lives I know nothing about. I saw both girls are connected to Jacob on social media, and they share his last name. Haynes. That was my last name, too. I didn't change it after the divorce. It seemed like too much of a hassle and Jacob and I don't have hard feelings towards each other. Well, not too many hard feelings. I haven't spoken with him in years, not since he remarried. But I'm tempted to call him now and ask him about Nancy and Lauren if they really are who I fear they are. I have others I could call too. My own mother, my brother. But there's no point. I understand now what happened, if not exactly why. And I know what I need to do. I get out of my car, and I head into the restaurant once more. is still standing behind the counter and the place still smells like a chemical factory. The dining area isn't as full as it was earlier. The people that are here are strange. Just like... Mr. Lim is sitting at the same table. A new mound of crumbled wrappers in front of him and scattered piles of them on the floor around his feet. He has only one sandwich left, but he seems to be in no hurry to eat it. Maybe he's finally full. He holds on to the sandwich with both hands, almost as if he's cradling it. His jacket is still stained with rabbit blood, thick and wet. He's watching a woman use a butcher knife to cut off a man's balls on the TV. 
I'm so relieved he's here. I was afraid he might have left while I was gone. I then wonder if he ever leaves, or if he's always sitting there, devouring one sandwich after another, watching an endless parade of televised murder and mutilation, doing favors for people willing to pay his price. I head over to the table on the edge of panic. I don't have any memories of Nancy or Lauren, but now I believe I should have. And I'm horrified at what I must have lost, what I must have willingly given up. I don't know what I was thinking and I don't care, I just want my memories back. But before I can speak, Mr. Lim turns to me with a smile that's almost, but not quite, mocking. No one realizes that when you remove one memory, all the others associated with have to go too. It's like a house of cards. You take one for the bottom and the entire structure collapses. You'd be surprised how many of my clients come back after they understand this, but... I must say, you may have set the record for the fastest return visit. So, you could give them back? The memories? <laughs> of course I can. He sounds offended at first, but then he smiles again. Slowly this time. Slyly. But like I told you earlier, I don't work for free. He unwraps the sandwich, crumples the paper, and tosses it to the floor. He lifts the sandwich up for my inspection and removes the top bun to reveal a bloody hunk of raw meat sitting there. A very particular cut of meat. Well, it's hard to find a steady supply, he says, especially when you have an appetite like mine. I remember how during my first visit, when I told him Marsha had said something to me about him, he questioned my use of the word. Now, I know why. Marsha can type just fine, but she can't say anything. She went through the same ritual as I imagine most of Mr. Lim's customers do. If they want back what they so foolishly gave away. He replaces the top bun and gobbles the sandwich down. Afterward, he wipes away a splotch of crimson from his lips, which I now know for certain is not ketchup. And he then points to the counter. Owned holds a butcher knife. It looks very much like the one wielded by the ball cutter on the TV. I think of how scared Nancy sounded on the phone, even though she fought so hard to sound calm. I think of Lauren, who even now is driving back to Ohio from Kentucky, worried sick that her mother had a stroke, or is suffering from early-onset dementia. I'll see her soon. Nancy, too. 
and when I do, I may not be able to say, I love you, but I will hug them. Hug them hard. I think they'll get the message. Most importantly, I'll remember them. Remember everything, the good times and the bad. I walk to the counter and stick out my tongue. Owned takes hold of the tip between a thumb and forefinger and pulls it taut. Then, without any change in her expression, she raises the knife and cuts. It hurts worse than the barbed wire around my ankle, but still... Still not as bad as... Oh, I hear my girl's voices again. And as Owen heads back to the kitchen with her grisly prize, I smile with my empty mouth. Blood pouring over my chin. And splattering onto the counter with a sound as sweet as music. You've been listening to Voices Like Barbed Wire, written by author Tim Wagner. Tim Wagner's first novel came out in 2001, and he's published close to 50 novels and seven collections of short stories since. He writes original fantasy and horror, as well as media tie-ins. His novels include Like Death, considered a modern classic in the genre, and the popular Necropolis series of urban fantasy novels. He's written tie-in fiction for Supernatural, Alien, Grimm, The X-Files, Doctor Who, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Transformers, among others. His articles on writing have appeared in Writer's Digest, Writer's Journal, and the Writer's Workshop of Horror. He's won the Bram Stoker Award and been a finalist for the Shirley Jackson Award, the Scribe Award, and the Splatterpunk Award. In addition to writing, Tim is also a full-time tenured professor who teaches creative writing and composition at Sinclair College. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks, available now on audible.com. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. 
When you support our sponsors, you support this show. And that also means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another Dance with Darkness. I bid you good night, sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, as well as a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill unless otherwise noted. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Felipe Ojeda under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's logo was created by Craig Groshek, and this week's artwork provided by Omega Black, unless otherwise noted. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for hundreds of free audio horror stories, including more performances from yours truly, and consider supporting us by becoming a patron at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, I'm Jason Hill, and you've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast. Good evening, and sweet dreams.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.